to Stand Forever, the podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. Not long ago, I read about a TikTok influencer from Atlanta. She's facing backlash after a video surfaced of her eating 48 oysters on a first date. The video evidently went viral on social media. The lady's name is Iquana, and she said that she had agreed to meet her male suitor at Fontaine's Oyster House, which claims to have the freshest oysters in the city. She agreed to the date supposedly only after the man had pursued her for weeks. Today I was bored and I had some time, she said. Evidently, Fontaine's has a $15 special on a dozen oysters on Tuesdays, and she decided to indulge. She said, they got the best oysters in Atlanta, like hands down, and so I'm like, yes, she said, before slurping through four platters of Tabasco-smothered seafood in shells. She continued and explained about how much she loved those oysters and how much she enjoyed those. And then she said, it was so good, I just had to. Excited about what they would eat next, Iquana ordered a few cocktails and then crab cakes and potatoes. But then she realized that her date had never returned from the restroom. (laughs) And he left her with the bill. I'm like, hold on, it's been 10, 20, maybe 30 minutes, she recalled, outraged. She texted her date, who argued that he had invited her out for drinks and just didn't expect her to order so much food. He offered to reimburse her for the drinks. Well, viewers, as you can imagine, did not take too kindly to her excess on the date. She received a slew of backlash from some of more than five million people who watched her video. I could barely listen to you slurping, so I can imagine how bad it was to actually watch, one viewer wrote. Some also questioned the validity of her story. Another TikToker visited Fontaine's with a friend to see if it was even humanly possible to consume 48 oysters at one setting. And then she said, I asked a waiter about the woman who came here and ate 48 oysters. How did she, how, how, he said, I'm sorry, he said that she's here every Tuesday. Fontaine's general manager, Kelsey Flanagan, told Rolling Stone the encounter is not uncommon in Atlanta. Of course, lots of things aren't uncommon in Atlanta. This is nothing new for us, she said, but it was quite funny. So let's take a moment. Where do we start? First of all, I'm not sure why anyone would ever eat oysters. Secondly, I am sure no one should ever eat 48 of those in one sitting. Thirdly, who would do that every Tuesday? Fourthly, and not finally, she has a manager. Why does a lady who eats oysters for a living need a manager? Fifthly, the story clarifies that she really makes her living just recording stupid things for people to watch. Sixthly, five million people 
watched this. That means there are at least five million people in the world who are not running on all eight cylinders, right? (laughs) But I'm thinking about this lady. The expectation on her part was that for whatever reason, the guy owed her. A little presumptuous. He, He owed her. That's odd in itself. I mean, to that excess. But listen, that's the way a lot of people are with the church these days. They're consumers, and we're here to meet their every need. Pastors and staff are like bellhops sitting around waiting to see if we can fluff a pillow, bring some snacks, make sure the TV's working for them. For the record, that's not you guys, and I mean that. But you know, all around the country, in fact, in some places all around the world, that's the world mindset about the church. The church has always been, the church will always be here, and the church should always be present to meet my every need. And if I can paraphrase from my good friend Paul, I would simply say, my brothers, that ought not be. Now, normally, you guys who have been here very often, you know we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we'll get back to that after Christmas, which will be here before we know it. But for now, we're in a series where we've been talking about my favorite verses. And so we've done some things from Psalms to Proverbs to the Gospel of Luke to Romans and then to Revelation. And this morning, not only do I want to talk about some of my favorite verses, but this will also be, again, about one of my favorite subjects, that is the church. I had part one of this sermonic subject matter two weeks ago, and so we continue our series, my favorite verses, what's it all about, Jesus? This is part B, and we're in Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to begin our reading with the first verse, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the third chapter and the first verse. If you're able, I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's holy word. Paul writes as follows. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit." This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. 
The text for this morning is background. It's foundational. We're going to be dealing with lots of other things, but it sets the stage for the things that we'll be dealing with. It's the idea that we're looking at the manifold wisdom of God, which comes to the world through the church. Now, you may or may not recall the impetus behind the title. We talked about music and how whenever I was a kid, I heard the song over and over with the opening line that said, what's it all about, Alfie? And I never understood that. But from there, we connected the dots and talked about how at some point we have looked around the world, and we have certainly looked around the world of faith, and we've certainly looked around a place like this, and we have said, what's it all about, Jesus? What is this all about? So here we are. Last time we were talking about this, we noted two main thoughts, and we're going to have just a couple of main thoughts today as well. We said last time the church is about including and the church is about believing. It's about including and it's about believing. As we talked about the inclusive nature of the church, we weren't leaning into the kind of inclusion that the world wants us to embrace. No, we were talking about how Paul was making it clear to the church at Ephesus that the Gentiles who would believe can now be part of the church. And so we spent a good bit of time talking about how those from any background, any kind of background, if repentance and faith are present, can be part of the church. They can be included. And then we said some things about believing. It's important to to understand what we believe. It's important to know, in fact, what we believe. And we talked about the importance of three things, repenting, believing, and then adhering, that is, adhering to the Word of God after we've come to faith in Jesus. So what else is the church about anyway? Just a couple of more thoughts for this morning. First of all, the church is about giving. The church is about giving. This manifold wisdom of God Paul shares with the church in Corinth, and we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Paul says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, say this with me, a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, everybody breathe, all right? Everybody breathe. If you have been here more than once, you know we're not after your money, right? We're not after your money. And if you leave here and say that we are, you're going to get the fever and die. (laughs) Well, maybe not. But the point is, giving and giving cheerfully, giving generously, giving regularly is one of the Christian graces. It's what we do because it's who we are. But there's never here, and you know this, there's never a manipulation about this. Having said all that, I want to simply say that Christians are the most generous people I've ever known. And this church is the most generous group of people collectively of which I have ever been a part When I stop to think about all that you guys do for our community and for our state and for our nation and even literally around the world, the truth is 
It is, at some level, mind-blowing. In a day and age when the mindset is, get all you can and then can all you get, you guys are about sacrifice and giving and simply helping other people. And that's so commendable. We could give an awful lot of different examples, but let me just mention a few. First of all, obviously, there's our regular giving which then translates into our regular missions giving. As a church family, with all the various mission causes that we're a part of combined, we're giving a good percentage of funds to share the gospel both here as well as abroad, literally all around our city, all around our county, all around our state, our nation, and the world. We're, we're part of a convention of churches We partnered together with some 42,000 other local churches by giving to what we refer to as the cooperative program. Our resources are pooled together in this particular giving endeavor, and we support missionaries, as an example, all around the world. They don't have to raise their own support, and what a blessing that is to them and to those to whom they're ministering. We support ministry personnel in training as well because the cooperative program goes to fund our six convention seminaries, Midwestern Seminary in our own backyard, just as an example. And then in our state, we have Baptist colleges and universities that we support. We have Spurgeon College in Kansas City. We have Hannibal LaGrange University. We have Missouri Baptist University and Southwest Baptist University. And we give to support Baptist homes and healthcare ministries. Listen to their mission statement. This is what they're about. Baptist homes and healthcare ministries is a distinctively Christian ministry called to joyfully serve in a Christ-like manner by educating, advocating, and caring for the aging, for the glory of God. Listen to me carefully. Our world needs to understand that these days. We don't do as well as we should as a culture, at least not in our nation. We don't do nearly as good as we should in terms of taking care of the aged, helping to take care of the elderly. And that's what Baptist Homes and Healthcare is all about. And that may not be a big deal to you right now. But if you have someone that you love that will end up going there, or if you end up going there, I promise it will be a big deal. Their vision statement. The vision is to make Christ-like ministry the standard of care for the aging community. Be like Jesus to those in need. That's the way of Jesus. Our own Dr. Rodney Harrison is the president of Baptist Homes, and our own Dr. David Sundin serves as the vice president And this ministry fleshes out what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 about how we're to outdo one another in showing honor. And I'm saying all of that to remind us, you and I, through our giving, we get to be a part of all that's taking place through these agencies. We also support the Missouri Baptist Children's Home Ministry. The ministry helps children and youth and families, mothers and babies, as well as victims of human trafficking. In 2022, the Missouri Baptist Children's Home served 2,853 children, youth, and families. What a blessing. I could go on and on. City Union Mission, the Liberty Women's Clinic. Your giving as a church family is making a world of difference in our world. So let's be clear about this, lest I be misunderstood. I never and we never ask our people to give just so we can have a whole lot of money in the bank. I've not yet put a down payment on that $65 million jet. We ask people to give 
And we do that without apology so that we can do ministry in the name of Christ. So when people outside the church, and you know how this works, when they say disparaging things about Christians, especially as it relates to giving, I remind them, you don't find the most caring orphanages, homes for the aged, universities, hospitals, or clinics striving to save babies being founded by atheists. No, it's followers of Jesus who have done that and who do that. The pagans, listen to me guys, the pagans aren't packing the shoeboxes to send around the world, are they? No, it's followers of Jesus. It's you guys. So the church is about giving. See, that wasn't so painful, was it? So we've dealt with how the church is about including, the church is about believing, the church is about giving. Number two this morning, the church is about forgiving. The church is about forgiving. Again, we're dealing with the manifold wisdom of God, and this is part of it. It's illustrative of that. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another. Everybody ought to have that plastered on their computer screen when you go on social media. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I'm going to, as a friend of mine used to say, I'm going to bring this all to your back door because this hits close to home. This is, after all, in many ways, the crux of the Christian faith, isn't it? Forgiveness is our business. That's what we're all about. We experience forgiveness and we extend forgiveness. Would you say that with me? We experience forgiveness and we extend forgiveness. That's the gist, not only of what we do, but again, it's who we are. Now, I've been around the block enough to know that forgiveness often, I get this, it's no easy task. Just like you, I have experienced a lot of situations that have put my capacity to forgive to the test. But here's the thing. Forgiveness is not optional if you desire to be in a right relationship with God. Forgiveness is not optional if you desire to be in a right relationship with God. If you want the blessings of God, if you want to experience in ongoing fashion God's forgiveness, then you must forgive. Now, I know that's strong language by design. You must forgive. And I know, by the way, that a lot of people think that preachers should never make imperative statements such as, you must. Well, I must. I'm going to talk next time about what the church deals with in terms of preaching. But let me say, it's okay when the biblical text demands it for the preacher to make demands of the people of God. These are not the preacher's demands. Let's be clear about that. These are God's demands. I have zero authority in your life to ask you to do anything that God has not made clear. And I'm fine with that. Listen, I promise I have enough to deal with keeping Lori straightened out. (laughs) But God's word makes it clear that forgiveness for the believer is not optional. Now, there's a lot that means and a lot that it doesn't. 
It doesn't mean that you forget the offense. In all likelihood, you might not be humanly able to do that. It doesn't mean that you have to become a doormat for another person. You shouldn't. It doesn't even mean that you have to exchange Christmas cards. It does mean that you have to be in the process of letting go of the offense. And man, that's hard. I know it. It's hard. But for your emotional health and your physical health, you must do it. Moreover, and more importantly, for the sake of your soul, you have to do it. You must practice forgiveness. So here's what we're going to do. Would you pause right now with me? And I want you to consider a situation where you might need to extend forgiveness. It might even be that you need to take a moment and offer forgiveness to yourself. But take just a moment and think about a situation where you might need to extend forgiveness. I remember reading several years ago about what one counselor said regarding forgiving oneself. He said that if people would learn to forgive themselves, he would be out of practice. He would be out of business in less than a year. So what does the Bible say about all this? Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive, will also forgive you. A friend of mine named David posted the following just the other day, and it resonated with me, and I suspect it might resonate with you too. This is what he said. He said, right now, somebody somewhere who once benefited from you is saying you're a bad person. And I thought, no way. And then I thought, huh. So what do you do about it? Just so you know, I've been looking for a plan B on this. I've been looking for a loophole related to forgiveness for a long, long time. And guess what? I've never found one. There is a direct correlation between your experiencing forgiveness and your extending forgiveness. You can't get away from that. Don't keep holding on to the offense. Don't keep holding on to that kind of negativity. Don't give someone else that kind of control in your life. Because when you hold on to the offense, that's exactly what you're doing. You're allowing them to control you. So I'm telling you guys, I've learned more about the practice of forgiveness in the last year or two than ever before in my life. And the truth is, I'm still learning. Maybe when we get to heaven, I'll tell you about it. Probably not, because there are no tears in heaven. But I've told the Lord on countless occasions that I would much rather read a book than go through it. I've said, Lord, I'm happy to read about this. I promise I'll get the lesson. Let me tell you another thing that I'm learning. I'm learning God really doesn't give a whole lot of thought to my advice to him. (laughs) And even when I don't think it's such a good idea, the Lord often reminds me, I must forgive. 
we've all seen a bell tower. The bells in the tower hang up high and, you know, there's a rope that comes down attached to them. And to ring the bell, you know how it works. The rope has to be pulled down a few times and depending on how high up it is and all that, but it has to, has to be pulled down a few times and there's a constant pulling and there's, there's this constant ringing of the bell as long as that rope is being pulled. Now, after the pulling is over and the person pulling the rope lets it go, the bell will keep swinging, at least for a time. The bell doesn't stop swinging just because the rope isn't being held onto anymore. It will swing for a while before it slows down and eventually stops. Forgiveness is the act of letting the rope go. It means that you choose to no longer hold on to that rope. But a lack of forgiveness is when you constantly pull on the rope. Each ring of the bell reminds us of the wrong inflicted upon us by another. And our constant pulling of the rope keeps the wrongdoings always at the front of our minds. Now, if we choose to let go by a decision of our will, our emotions will still hear the bell for a little while. But if you let the rope go, and if you leave it alone, after a while, the bell will slow and it will stop. Sometimes forgiveness is hard because we've been ringing the bell so long, we don't know how to do life without the bell. Sometimes we leave the bell alone for just a little while, but then we pick up the rope and we start it all over again. Don't, don't let the pain get in the way of your forgiveness. You are responsible. You are responsible for not constantly ringing the bell. And if you don't pick up the rope, eventually, eventually, the sound will die down. And that, too, is some of the manifold wisdom of God given to the world through the church. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.